0: St. Paul, in his letter to the Hebrews, wrote, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Let us also lay aside, Paul says. This tells us that the cloud of witnesses spoken of have given us an example by having already laid aside their weight and their sin, which clings so closely. Our weights and our sins are like our clothes or our very skin. They cling to us. They are close. They are part of who we are. So closely do they cling to us that perhaps we're unaware that we're even wearing them. How many of you are aware of the feeling of your socks on your feet right now? And if you think about it, yeah, I am now. (laughs) And as we're aware of that feeling of the socks on our feet, how many of us are aware of the feeling of our shirt on our back? We're not aware of this, even though it's there, it's present all the time, until we focus on it, until we pay attention to it. And even harder is to be aware of the skin that we wear. Sometimes in my meditations I try to focus right here in between my eyebrows this point and become actually aware of that point. It's a practice to help me to become aware, to be aware of myself. And our sins can be like that. They can be part of our personality, part of who we are, part of what we do, without us ever being aware of them. Until we really focus, try to pay attention to ourselves. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. The Course has been laid out for us by its pioneer, Jesus Christ. St. Paul tells us, that it's our responsibility to get into the race. On March 12th, a close friend of mine, who shall, because he's in my small group, remain anonymous, ran his first marathon, a 26.2 mile race. It's an interesting tale about Robert. <laughs> He began training for the marathon four months before the race. During the last three weeks of training, he was running 20 miles a day, four to five times a week, along with swimming laps to build his endurance. During the first 20 miles of the race, he was running smoothly, right on pace. He was warned by those who had run marathons before that at the 20-mile mark, he would hit what runners call the wall. Sure enough, on target, he hit the wall. The wall is aptly named, for it is at this point that continuing the race becomes a challenge of sheer will and determination. Robert became dizzy was stumbling and began to slow down, but he continued to run, pushing himself, Although he felt miserable and desperately wanted to quit. He continued because he had the goal in mind, crossing the finish line. Maybe he wouldn't make it in the time frame he had hoped for, but he would complete the race. He would cross the finish line. As he approached mile 25, his legs felt like they were going to quit. He felt terrible. But somehow, he also felt like he had picked up a little speed. Remember now, the race is 26.2 miles. Robert remembers seeing the 26-mile marker. And then, 26.1. Only a tenth of a mile to go. When suddenly, without any warning, only 25 yards from the finish line, His body shut down, and he collapsed to the ground. He remembers hearing people on the sidelines cheering until they realized he couldn't get up. Try as he might, his mind full of determination, he could not move. After a while, the paramedics came, but he refused to let them help him. He was absolutely determined to finish this race. The goal was right there in front of him. But try as he might, he simply could not move. When he saw the stretcher, he pleaded with them to please not carry him across the finish line, but to help him to get up so he could with their help across the finish line. Finally, with one person under each shoulder, Robert crossed the finish line. When he told us this story, I wondered to myself, why anyone, both of you, (laughs) why anyone would run a marathon? It is, after all, a celebration of the 5th century B.C. victory of the Greeks over the Persians at Marathon. After the battle was won Pheidippides ran the 26 miles from Marathon to Athens, and when he got there, he cried out Nike, which is Greek for victory, and promptly died on the spot. <laughs> A marathon involves hardship, pain, physical and emotional strain, And for what? Well, I think it's for one of those attributes that make us human. Self-fulfillment. It is a challenge to ourselves to reach beyond ourselves, to fight the battle within that tells us to quit, and then to push beyond our own limitations. The spiritual race is a lot like this physical race. It's filled with hardship and difficulties. It's best done with others. A family of runners who encourage and provide support. It can bring immense fulfillment. It is challenging to start. But more challenging to keep going. The spiritual race also has its wall. It goes by many names, but is most commonly called the dark night of the soul. The parallels between a marathon and the spiritual race are many. But one aspect that I believe is quite different is that in life, you can run and finish many marathons. But in the spiritual race, <clears throat> there is only one race. You may stop and start many times, but you're still in the same race. I know that there are those who would argue with me on, the, on this point, those who believe that the race is run until you reach enlightenment. Perhaps they would argue that some, like St. John of the Cross, after coming through the dark night, or St. Thomas Aquinas, after the beatific vision, or St. Paul, after his encounter with Christ, were no longer in the race, in the spiritual battle, that they had, with the help of God, crossed the finish line. Had, in other words, become enlightened by the light of Christ. I would disagree. Perhaps they had broken through the wall, had reached that place where the race is no longer a torturing battle of endurance, but a joyful run that seems effortless. Perhaps we can in this life reach that point where we can break through the wall. When we reach the dawn of the dark night, where God picks us up and helps us through to the rising sun. Perhaps those like Saints John and Thomas are examples of this. But for most of us, I think the race will continue until we are very old, perhaps to our deathbeds. I don't know. I really don't know much about anything. I won't stand here and pretend to be a teacher or a guide or a guru or whatever you want to call it. I can't give you any answers. All I can do is to suggest that if you desire to have the answers, you must do as St. Paul said. You must get in the race. And as he said again in his letter to the Corinthians, you must run as to win. I can, however, assure you of this. If you choose to get in this race, you will begin a journey of self-discovery. If you're already in the race, then you know how frightening self-discovery can be. If you're not in the race, you may be asking yourself the same question I asked about Robert. Why bother? Why would I want to dive deeply into the inner cosmos of my own soul? There's no simple answer to this. But if I had to venture a response, I'd say the race is there and it is necessary because I seek truth. Like a bug, I'm drawn to the light, and that light and that truth is the eternal, omnipotent mystery. He is the one, he is the way, the truth, and the life. I run because I seek him, who is my source, my very being. And I believe that to find him, I must first find myself. I run toward the light in the hope that I will one day become enlightened by the light of my Lord Jesus Christ. That He will fill my very soul. And on that day, as St. John tells us, when I see Him face to face, I shall know just as I am known. This is our calling. This is our quest, our journey. This is our race. But we have to get in. And we have to run. In the short time I have this morning, there's no way for me to begin to share with you the insights, as small and as cloudy as they are, that I have learned in my race. On the table, I put a list of some handout, I put a list that uh, gives some sources for further reading, listening, that I would recommend to you. My resources are limited because I've only begun to run my race. When I think about it, I think that perhaps I haven't crossed the first mile marker. In the course that the Lord has laid out for me, It may not be the course that he's laid out for you. So I can only suggest that you listen and that what you hear here this morning that you take with you and that which you can use, you keep. And that which you cannot use, you discard. But these then Be proposals for you as you begin to continue to run your race. And as you continue to run, you'll gain insight. You'll be guided by the Holy Spirit. And you'll find your way to the light of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would give you a few recommendations. First, be aware of yourself. Above the door to the oracle of Delphi was written in Latin the words, Know thyself. In many stories that come to us from the desert fathers, the adage often repeated was, Brother, pay attention to yourself. To know yourself, to pay attention to yourself, you must first be aware of yourself. This means to pay attention to your words, your thoughts your actions and your reactions. Question yourself. Was that the best response? Was that in keeping with the person who I think I am or who I want to be? Am I laying blame on another for something that is not their fault? For something that I am responsible for? Pay attention to yourself. Question yourself. And you are beginning along the journey of knowing yourself. Live in gratefulness. When I was 15 years old, I went with my family to Morocco, and it was there that I first encountered true poverty. Later, as an adult in the Navy, I traveled through a good number of third world nations, and I saw firsthand the devastating effects of poverty on people visiting in the Philippines, one of the most impoverished places in Asia. Recently, my daughter and husband went on a mission trip to an orphanage in Bangladesh. When she returned, we had the opportunity to talk about the poverty that she witnessed, the hordes of children surrounding her with their hands held out, begging, rows upon rows of houses made of cardboard, scrap wood and metal, horrible poverty. And I was thankful that she was able to have such an experience. It was hard for her, but I was thankful because I knew from my own experiences that she would never be the same. From what I've seen, the poor are happier than the well-off. They are happier because they are grateful for what they have. We don't become grateful because we're happy. We become happy because we're grateful. If you have a house to live in, clothes to wear, food to eat, a vehicle to move you about, and people who love you, your basic human needs are being met. For these, you should be grateful. Everything else is a bonus. So you don't have the high-paying job others have. Your new car is ten years old, so you buy your clothes at Goodwill. One dollar. <laughs> yeah, well, when you hear yourself worrying or complaining, pay attention to yourself. Remind yourself of how much you have. And be happy with what you have. Be happy with where you're at. Be grateful. As Jesus told us, don't be anxious over what you are to eat or what you are to wear. Be grateful. And be honest with yourself. We are poor at judging our own character, our own motives. When I think about honesty, I think about a homily Father Newman gave on the word sincere. It comes from the Latin Without wax. During ancient Greco-Roman times, unscrupulous sculptors would cover up defects or mistakes they had made in the sculpture with a wax filling. The problem became so bad that the government hired inspectors that would stamp a statue sincere without wax as a seal of approval. We often do the same thing. We cover our mistakes our character defects, our errors. We hide them from others. We hide them from ourselves. We are, in a word, insincere. The Lord calls us to humility, which can be another word for honesty. Being humble is being honest with ourselves, taking a good, honest examination of ourselves, removing the wax we've put in to cover our defects. And once discovered and uncovered, we can then begin the honest work of grill repair rather than covering them with wax. In his homily last Sunday, Father Newman talked about mission and battle. The mission being the duty of the church and the battle being the individual carrier struggle that each of us go through every day. As I listened, it occurred to me that this analogy of the race fits quite well with mission and battle. As we run our race, we run with many others who are in this race. Along the sides of the race are those who have gone before us, the saints cheering us on and encouraging us. Like the energizing sacraments and the priests who dispense them for us, along the way are water tables filled with water cups and those who hand them out to the runners. Then at the end, like Robert, we find the paramedics the Holy Trinity. Little did we know that they were there all along the way. But now we see them. And as our bodies, our efforts, cease to support us, and we collapse and fall to the ground, our God is there to carry us across the finish line. I'm excited about this because I'm in love. And my hope for you this day is that you've been encouraged to either start or continue your own race. If you have been encouraged, don't let that feeling wane. Get motivated. Get reading. Get moving. Get praying. And start running so as to win. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.